Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. I continue my conversation with Shailaja Subramanian. In the first part, she talks about how she got into information systems and her career spanning education and startup sectors. How she balanced professional and personal demands and challenges and how she never hesitated to get into new areas and is always ready to learn. In this part, Shai talks about the differences in teaching approaches for young adults and children how she likes to learn when she is interested in a topic and not for grades etc and how people learn best when they are invested in it how she brings a lot of enthusiasm being funny with a pitch of entertainment that makes her classes always very popular she also gives interesting assignments as she says designing assignments that she would want to do how she uses a lot of case studies that had a lot of learning value in her strategy classes and one of the aspects to address in teaching is to manage short attention spans and how teamwork is important even in academic courses and then we talk a little bit about uh, the trends and concerns related to the evolving knowledge management space and how ai can influence that and finally she shares some career tips listen on so multiple questions mm. now first is whether it is in a teaching college students or kids mm-hmm. like you said you would go and then learn a new topic when you got mm-hmm. in there how do you instill that say maybe earning for learning in them particularly that- when it is a topic which is supposed to be very technical analytical and then no emotions there etc that is right the first one second is what is the difference that you've seen either in terms of the expectations or your own style when it comes to you know, teaching adults and teaching children okay all right so the first question essentially is how do you how do you instill the love for learning right mm-hmm. and that is for me it's actually very very close to my heart because i've always learned best when i really wanted to learn when i was mm. really not because i was motivated by a grade or motivated by something that was going to happen in the future but just for the joy of learning mm-hmm. so 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 i think i first experienced that when i was in my masters program i was taking all these information systems classes with no idea that i was actually going to pursue a phd in information systems and mm. a career in it so i thought i was just doing it because i like to do it i want to mm. learn it and so i think that was the first time i realized how it feels to just learn for the sake of learning with mm. no expectations of anything mm-hmm. at all and so i think after uh, i learned that then i went to went to do the phd program for me the other thing was that i was so grateful to be in the phd program honestly mm. because i was someone who wanted to study engineering and i had taken this long route 
circuitous route to get to a point where I could finally do what I wanted to do. So honestly, just the fact that I was there, I was extremely grateful for that. So uh, I think one difference I could see between myself and say a guy, I won't name him, but an IITM was that he was already focused on publishing papers and um, all those kinds of things. And I was there to enjoy the program, honestly. <laughs> So, and because I was there to enjoy the program, I didn't hesitate to, you know, just venture off into new fields like remote sensing, even though I knew nothing mm. in that field. So, so anyway, so talking about instilling that in other people. Um, so in college students, I found again that uh, people learn best when they're invested in it mm. and when, when they're really enjoying what they're doing. So, um, it's a little like so so first of all i bring a lot of enthusiasm into the class because mm -hmm. i think that's super important you can't be dull in class you have to be funny you have to be a little bit entertaining almost to mm -hmm. keep people's attention mm -hmm. and second thing you have to show uh the students that you really care about mm -hmm. the topic it's really mm -hmm. interesting for you so um when when i used to say something like you know i fell uh, i fell in love with database management systems the first time i learned it and people would be laughing the students would be laughing and i'd be like it's true i really did i really enjoyed it that much and and but then also seeing that hey you know for them it's a realization that hey it is possible to love what you're doing hmm. i would try my best to you know I, see one thing is success if they have if they're doing everything successfully in the class the love for learning follows or maybe hmm. maybe it's uh, what came first the chicken or the egg but um if someone's failing a class they're not going to love the material hmm. so super important for me that if someone was lagging behind or something i would immediately pull that person up have them meet me during office hours find out what they hadn't learned and then hmm. make them catch up and so um that was one and giving them interesting assignments to do so okay. if, even when you're teaching say web, web programming web-based programming right you can give extremely boring <laughs> assignments if you want or your assignments can be creative and can be fun and can be something they really like doing so i would actually spend a lot of time actually designing these assignments because i wanted them to be something i would want to do as a student okay mm. i shouldn't have to feel like you know there's a pointless program i'm writing god knows why kind of thing and so um and also the third thing was that um I also taught a strategy class when I was at San Diego mm. State, and the strategy class was how best to apply information systems to real-world problems. Okay. So we used to have a lot of case studies in it, and again, it, there are there are good good case studies and bad case studies. So I used to pick case studies that were really really interesting and that had a lot of learning value, mm. and that I knew would generate a lot of discussion without any probing. So, uh, I I I've had a few students tell me that they grew to love the subject after taking yeah. my class, but I don't know if, how many students I managed to reach, mm. but I, I did definitely uh, use that in my parenting style as well. So right from the beginning, whatever the children were learning, I had to make them feel that this is fun, not mm. that this is like a, uh, onus for you. Uh, and the second you, question yeah. was um, the adults versus children. Um, there is a difference. Uh, ha but having said that, the so-called quote-unquote adults I taught were in the age, age range of 18 to 22. So mm -hmm. they're not really, really adults. They're still okay. in some ways children. Mm -hmm. But uh, the really small children that uh, that come to you to learn, maybe the seven-year-olds or the eight-year-olds, even the 10, 11-year-olds, um, they have, a, especially this generation, has a huge attention problem. 
So the attention span is serious. I mean, I could tell even in college that over the years, the attention span was coming down. Mm-hmm. Like the patience to sit through a lecture was not there. You couldn't use a lecture method anymore because people mm-hmm. don't have the patience. People, people don't watch YouTube videos that are more than like certain number of minutes long. <laughs> so why would they sit in a class and listen to a lecture? So it had to be broken up with activities and so on. And for children, it's even more so. A lot of it has to be it has to be completely hands on from the beginning. But in the hands on part, you're also teaching them stuff. Hmm. So their attention is on what they're doing, but they're also learning because you're telling them the next step and the next step and getting them to do it. So that's the main difference, I feel, the attention part of it. But otherwise, um, as far as motivation goes, I think sometimes younger children are more motivated because hmm. for them everything is exciting yeah. and. And and you and if you tell them oh this is something exciting they just believe you and they sit down and think it's exciting and they want to do it. College students students are a little bit more uh, jaded in some ways, mm. so to get them to be enthused about something is a little bit harder. Mm. But uh, once you get them enthused, then they get going. The, the related aspect is that um, typically this kind of uh, programming or even uh, designing systems all. Uh, supposed to be a high IQ activity. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, stressing on maybe some individual brilliance and something that you need, which is what the education system in general emphasizes. Mm-hmm. But in implementing some non-trivial solutions, it is always teamwork. There's definitely mm-hmm. more than one person who does that. Uh, you did mention that you got an opportunity to review others' papers and all that during your uh, mm-hmm. PhD period. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you think teamwork or developing solutions, like you said, strategy, which is probably more of a holistic or design thinking kind of approaches, how can that also be integrated when somebody is learning how to develop IT solutions beyond just programming? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so actually, that's that's something that's I think done pretty well in many of these schools mm-hmm. because teamwork is built in. There's mm-hmm. in fact a requirement, that's one of the rubrics of when you design a course that there has to be teamwork in it. Okay. And so especially information system strategy classes and so on, it's completely with teams. Okay. So in fact, uh, every year we used to um, take part in a case competition. It was organized mm-hmm. by Cisco. And the three schools that would participate were Stanford, Berkeley and San Jose State. And they would give a real world program Hmm. And then teams at San Jose State had to come up with strategies and business plans and so on. And we, the professors would pick out the best ones, send them to Cisco. So it was completely team-based. So, so they, I think especially I feel that uh, at least when I was studying in India, teamwork was not common in colleges. Here, at least wherever I've taught, I found that teamwork is very, very common. It's not uncommon at all. And I think that's the way it should be because ultimately they're going to be working in workplaces with other people. Right. So, yeah. But yeah. but then it's it's not not like it's not without friction. Mm-hmm. It's every single semester I used to have teams that didn't work out. I would have people coming and complaining about other other members of the team. This person's not doing what he's supposed to be doing, yeah. and so on and so forth. So, um, uh, which I over time I think I learned how to deal with it. Usually there's one person who's just hoping everyone else will do the work. So I would pull them out and say, okay, you're doing this on your own now, which would come as a bit of a shock to a system, but that was the only way to deal with it, a fair way to deal with it. So um, I I think people learn to work with teams over time. 
normally these conversations are not very technical but i do have one question uh, based on what you said because there is also a topic close to one of my interest areas which is knowledge management mm -hmm. uh, today you see that uh, from a more traditional document management which was equated to knowledge management you find that there are structured unstructured pieces of uh, information or data that all need to be connected in real time including the large language models which kind of spew out based on whatever they collected mm -hmm. so uh, again two questions there one is uh, where do you think this will be practically applicable or are we already reaching the limits two is since there's a lot of talk about data poisoning now how do people behave responsibly in interacting with say, knowledge systems. I don't want to call it AI, mm -hmm. uh, probably labeling it as knowledge systems. So, so your second question, can you give me a more specific example of uh, data poisoning? Um, yeah, see many of the language models or even the, the AI models that are being developed are trained on past data. Mm -hmm. And due to our systems or just the discipline of uh, maintaining records and having data, there are always some biases that mm -hmm. seem to be in many data sets. Mm -hmm. right? So even now, it's probably much easier you know, to train a model with selective data that it would you know, generate only things that are probably tilted towards one point of view or one way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And when this becomes available in the hands of pretty much everyone, and the system starts learning based on those interactions, mm -hmm. what are some safeguards or what do you think we can do to make the world a more understanding place? Maybe it's a little philosophical oh, question. Wow. Very, very philosophical. <laughs> but yeah, that too, at this time of the day, but yeah, so whatever. Okay, so let me answer the first one first. So okay. I, are we reaching the limits of knowledge management? So, um, so I think there was a point where, even though even though the web was still pretty big, we did have a feeling that, yeah, we can manage, quote unquote, manage it. So mm -hmm. to give you an example, um, uh, the, the startup that I was working at, we were essentially doing projects for companies like Cisco and Apple and so on. And at that point itself, they had tons of documents. And at that point, of course, uh, it was a million documents was considered to be a lot. Mm -hmm. So and we would of course take a sample of that and train the system to recognize what a document is about based on that and run it on the whole system and fine tune it and so we had the sense of control that yeah so here is the knowledge we're managing it <laughs> and i think very soon we learned then itself that it's not that easy mm. because even then cisco was spewing out products one after the other which meant more and more documentation and our systems couldn't keep up. Hmm. So, um, but just because the systems couldn't keep up, it doesn't mean that uh, the problem goes away, right? Hmm. So if, if they have a lot of documentation and people are looking for the documentation, you still need to find a way to help people find what they're looking for. Hmm. So I guess it's just, I, I don't think there's a final solution. You just have, it's even knowledge management. If you do do a project, it has, it has to be maintained over time because it's going to grow bigger. It's going to grow wider. 
and it's never going to be contained and mm. especially like you said there's so much unstructured data now it's it's just becoming more and more difficult but we, it's something we have to do i mean because there are there are uses for it mm. lots of uses for it i mean when there's data and you can use it obviously you want to find it right so and to find it you need to manage it so um definitely i, I don't think i mean it's not possible to map quote unquote manage but we have to definitely find ways to cope with the data as mm. time goes by and the second question was about uh, po- data poisoning well honestly i don't know much in this area because i haven't really thought about much uh, thought about this much the only thing i know is that um, because my niece she works for alexa and so we have conversations sometimes about how alexa is trained mm. and definitely even the way amazon itself trains it there are so many biases right mm. Mm. so and then when you think about ai systems that are exposed to the world where it's getting data from all and sundry some of which may be completely false data for we know there will be issues right mm. but uh, if we have ai systems that affect our lives in some crucial way there has to be safeguards otherwise we are done for mm. right of course you can't have manual safeguards you have to develop ai based safeguards that can detect but again this is going to be like a perpetual race yeah. race between people who are producing the fake data and the people who are trying to detect it mm-hmm. so there's going there's no end to it just like mm-hmm. there's no end to knowledge management i think there's no end to this either mm-hmm. but i think that's what makes it exciting but oh, i also hope we don't end up in some kind of scary situation because of that so yeah. because i don't want to think of the consequences of what could happen but it is pretty scary sometimes yeah in a way that i think probably offers hope and scope for people to get into it so i usually like to conclude my conversations with uh, some career tips that i guess might have for two segments of people one those who may be considering a career in it mm-hmm. in whichever area and those who have been in it and going through possibly an existential question or and trying to address that saying that what am i doing here or should i change or uh, how do i stay abreast of whatever is happening right right you have any tips for both yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, for for the people who are considering um, careers in it it is pretty broad right so it can be one end, end of it which is very yeah. csv you're writing like you know system level code and so on and then you have the other end maybe it's a business analyst who's basically designing mm-hmm. collecting uh, interviewing people and designing systems so um in either case uh, so i've had a few chats with my former students because they sometimes come back and they say okay i'm thinking of making some changes in my career what do you think of this because now it's so important to do uh, you know Uh, insulate your career from what i won't say it's not possible to insulate but uh, protect your career from these big changes that are happening right so for instance my son is majoring in cs now i definitely don't want him to have a goal of being a programmer because mm. definitely the programming job itself is not is not is in danger already mm-hmm. right so he has to be someone who is designing stuff Mm. and designing something that at least right now ai cannot design <laughs> so um so it's really important to look at what problems exist right now uh, that are not being addressed or being addressed very minimally 
and train yourself to go after that. So one thing, for instance, the space exploration is taking off, right? And one part of space exploration is the robotics angle to it. And robotics involves programming too, but there's a lot of design of hardware and software over there. So, so for instance, I, I, that's what I've told my son. So he likes uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, that kind of stuff, and even the project he's currently working on has something to do with both hardware and software. So essentially, training yourself in places that where you cannot be easily replaced. Hmm. You know, and uh, right now AI itself it seems like the safest place to go because you're the ones who are putting other people out of, out of work. <laughs> so, uh, but again, I think IT stuff changes so fast. Mm. It's not enough to just say, okay, I'm going to do AI or I'm going to do data science. You cannot just sit on your laurels because things change so quickly around here, mm. which actually is connected to your second question because in order to to stay stay relevant you have to constantly be on the run it's like running to stay in the same place mm. you have to be constantly training yourself learning new things which is actually a challenge for people who are doing full-time jobs because they're doing full-time jobs where they're focusing on one particular thing and yeah. then to have to say okay now outside of this job i need to get skills that are not relevant to my mm -hmm. current job is a very very tough thing to do mm. and honestly for most people life comes along right you don't it's not always like in your youth where all your time is yours. You have spouses, you have children, you have parents, you have illnesses, you have so many things that happen, right? And so um, over time, um, if you can keep up that pace, that's awesome. But I think at, I think ideally what one should, I don't know whether I should use the word should, but um, it, it would be a good thing to do because if you really care about technology, it really interests you, it, 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 you feel enthusiastic about it, but just can't keep up with the nitty gritty stuff, is to go on to, like for instance, my husband, he set up a start, opened a startup, right? So the startup, the people who found the startup, they have the big picture. They hmm. say, okay, this is what we're trying to make. Yeah. This is how we, this is the approach to our, this is how we want to solve this particular problem. Hmm. And then they start getting people to do work for them. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that they know nothing, but it also means that they don't have to keep themselves abreast at the rate at which they would have to if they were actually doing all the programming themselves. Mm. So, um, and the other thing is that when you have juniors who are uh, coming in with all those new skills, that's what better way to learn, right? You can learn from them, Yeah. right? And that's a great way to keep yourself abreast. The other option is I have another student who wants to go off into teaching, which I said, great, do it. But again, teaching is also a place where you you can't you have to keep training yourself and retraining yourself mm -hmm. if you're training if you're teaching in the IT field. Mm -hmm. I mean, except if you're teaching history or something, you have to keep yourself up to date. Not just because things change, but because the nature of which students that come in change. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, every generation is different from the previous one and seems to know more. Than the previous one so even there you have to keep yourself abreast but it's a change of pace when you're teaching the cha the pace is not that of the frantic frenetic uh, corporate pace it's <laughs> slower and you have time to adjust so that's one thing but i do know a lot of people who are so burned out in technology they're like we're done we just <laughs> want to do something else altogether and i know people who've gone off in become yoga instructors and so on but i guess that for that you also need to have the freedom of uh, you need financial freedom to do that so if you have to bring in a stable income and you're supporting a family then you will have to 
work at something you probably have some kind of training in, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not that easy to get away from technology if you are still mm -hmm. trying to make a living, if that's all you've been trained in. I mean, that's, that's, my, that's my perspective because if you want to retrain yourself, again, that takes time. So what's going to happen to your income source during that time, right? Unless you can do that parallel with whatever you're doing. So it, it does become harder as you grow older to change. But maybe you could slow down by uh, going into teaching or something else. Yeah, those are very you know, pragmatic tips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because my, my students come, because when my students come to me, I have to give them pragmatic tips. I can't give yeah. them... You know, uh, fancy tips and they they'll look right through it they'll see right through it. they'll see it's not gonna work for me i have to earn money yeah. you know so you have to have work for them the way they live right now mm -hmm. so and they do want to get married they do want to have children so i have to like be very practical with them and say okay mm -hmm. here's how your life's going to be from this point on you're going to have less time to learn new things to, because of course your family needs uh, attention so you have to work around that and of course you have to basically prioritize for yourself what's important as well because i've had to do that a few times in my life mm. when i had kids when my parents were sick and so on you sometimes you just have to be very clear about what your priorities are and just yeah. go with it yeah on that note uh, thanks a lot shalija for uh, sure sharing your Absolutely. really inspiring story oh i'm sure uh, a lot of people would be able to relate to it at least i could in multiple instances that you were talking about Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for talking to me. We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people's stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, Contact us at podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com.